Sure good to see you tonight. We're going to be in the book of Ephesians to begin this evening. And we're, we're still talking about uh, angels. And we'll, we've been doing it for several weeks in our series of doctrinal lessons. I mentioned this once before, I think. I'll just mention it again. For whatever reason, I was just because it's the way God set it up, I guess, um, we're, we're never instructed to cry out to our holy angels, those supporting angels. We're never instructed in the Bible to um, pray to them in spite of what some religions do. We're never instructed to do that. Um, when, you know, there are numerous names in the Bible for God and Lord of hosts is one of those names. And the, that name, Lord of hosts, refers to the fact that God is over the angelic host, the angelic beings, millions upon millions of those angels and watching over us. And, but, but on the other hand, we are instructed to um, resist the evil angels. So while on one hand, we're never, we're never taught, to my knowledge, to uh, pray to, to cooperate with, to entreat the assistance of, of uh, holy angels, we are commanded in numerous places to oppose or to resist those spiritual enemies, the devil and uh, his, his helpers. And so we're taking a few weeks to talk about that subject and uh, so we're going to continue in Ephesians chapter 4. Did I give you the chapter? Ephesians chapter 4. Last week, we looked at that passage in Peter where it says that the devil uh, it says to be uh, sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walketh about uh, like as a roaring lion. Seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith. And so we're to resist the devil and be steadfast about it. And then we looked at that passage in 2 Corinthians where Paul said, Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we're not ignorant of his devices. So that, that means we're to be aware, we're to be intelligent. Use good intelligence concerning our adversary and uh, because he wants to get an advantage over us. And one of, those, one of those ways, and this is where we ended up last Sunday night, one of the ways, one of his devices is unforgiveness. One of the most common problems, one of the most serious situations that gives Satan an advantage over us is unforgiveness. And so that kind of brings us in review up to where we are. Ephesians chapter 4, let's stand if you're able to stand for the reading of God's word. <clears throat> we're going to just, we're just going to continue on with some very simple, common, biblical um, examples of way the Satan gets um, an advantage. Of, we don't want to give him an advantage, Right? And so let's read in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. Be ye angry and sin not. 
Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. That means you can be as mad as the devil as long as you stop being mad before the sun goes down. Isn't that good to know? Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. The sentence does not end there. Verse 27 continues saying, Neither give place to the devil. So here again, we see in clear, simple language another way that we can give the devil a foothold or give the devil a place. Don't be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Father, thank you again for your word. Help us tonight as we study. Strengthen us. Lord, help us to um, give our minds, our attention to something that deserves our serious attention. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So we mentioned unforgiveness last week. Here's a second way that we can give place to the devil or give the devil an advantage. And what is that? Verse 26. How would you describe this? Be angry and sin not. So anger, especially a holding a grudge or holding an offense or bitterness would, be, would fit right in there with that. You know, it's one thing to get angry. I understand it is. I've never really been angry, but I understand that people do get angry sometimes. Um, matter of fact, I've seen some. No, I'm just kidding. It's one thing to get angry. It's one thing to be hurt and to deal with it. But it's another thing to carry that hurt. It's another thing to carry that anger, that bitterness. And whether we think it's that big a deal or not, I'm telling you what the Bible says. The Bible says if we do, we're giving a place to the devil. We're giving him a foothold or an advantage. And so this is a little bit different language in Ephesians 4, but it's the same concept as we saw in this matter of giving him an advantage, giving place. Um, what does it mean to give place? Uh, the word, if, you would take, if you were to take a concordance and look up that word place in the English, it would tell you that it is a translation from the Greek word topos, T-O-P-O-S, topos which is a word that's used like for topography, like a topographical map. When you're looking at a map and it shows you elevations, place means a spot. It means a, 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 uh, an opportunity. And really, that's really all the devil initially needs is just give him a spot. Give him a place. He's, you know, I can't say this emphatically, but it's my notion, my idea, my opinion that really that's how it usually starts. The devil just wants a little place. He wants a little bit of territory. He, we might say that he wants, to, he wants to get his foot in the door. Because if he gets his foot in the door, it won't be long till he's in the house. Uh, it reminds us of that expression, you know, give them an inch and they'll take what? They'll take a mile. And I think personally this, this touches on one of the most familiar and yet maybe sometimes unnoticed tactics 
of the devil. And that is, you know, he, he seems... Now, I'm not, I don't hear voices. I don't think Satan, talk, Satan doesn't talk to me in audible terms. But he, we're going to give another lesson to this, really about how he puts thoughts in our minds and how those thoughts are really his way of, of moving us in a particular direction. But here's the thought that often comes when a person is tempted to do something, and that is this. You know, you can do it one time, and it's not really going to do any damage. You can do it one time, and you're really, it's really not going to harm you or anybody else. There'll be no real consequences. And you know what? That ha- people hear that in their head a lot. Even people, think about this. I think this is such an effective tool of the enemy. People who've been trapped in a, in a, a habitual sin. Let's just say the sin of uh, drug addiction or maybe... Drink, drunkenness, drinking, maybe even smoking. Um, I know people personally in our family who have, who have really wanted to quit smoking, who have quit smoking, sometimes for years, and then pick it up again, and they just hate themselves for doing it. And, or maybe it's a sin of lust, and, and, they, and people get free from that. By the way, Jesus came to set the captives free. And people get free from these various um, sinful habits. And then they'll find themselves, maybe in a few days, maybe a few weeks, maybe in some cases a few years. They'll find themselves in a tempting situation and they'll fall for this lie. You can do it one time and it really won't matter that much. I'm telling you, it does matter. It's given place to the devil. You know, I'm thinking of a person that I love very much, not in this church, doesn't even live in this state, who has been in and out in prison so many times and have wasted decades of his, of his life because of, of drug addiction. And you know, you know, you, you can be free from it for a long, long time. It just takes one time back into it and you're right into that routine again. But it's not just about drugs. It could be about lying. It could be about lust. It could be about any number of things. You find your, and then you're once again you're ensnared by the devil's trap. What does the Bible say in verse 27 there in Ephesians 4? Neither give place to the devil. Don't give him, don't give him any spot, not even a little spot. Don't look at it just. For one minute. Don't look at it one time. Don't, don't do that. You know, I'm thinking of the Old Testament example of King Saul, the first king of Israel. And we know that God did not ideally want Israel to have a king, but they insisted on it. And finally God gave him one and God picked him, Saul, the son of Kish. And he was a good king. But after David killed Goliath, Saul heard these women cheering and chanting, Saul hath killed his thousands, but David his ten thousands. Saul has killed his thousands, but David, this young teenage uh, man of God, really a valiant warrior, he hath killed his ten thousands. And the Bible says that Saul, when he heard that, he was angry. He was jealous. You say, well, that's not a big deal. 
But then this Bible says this. An evil spirit from God came upon him. Isn't that something? You know why he gave place to the devil? Anger, jealousy. And, you, you know, we could say, well, this is really not that big a deal. I'm telling you, the devil just wants to get a foothold. It's what he wants. In life, people are going to hurt us. I hate to break the news to you. But might as well hear it here. In life, we're going to be disappointed. In life, we're going to have things happen that, that uh, hurt. People may malign us. That may, they, may, they may say things against us. They may betray us. You know, one of the things I admire about our president is how he just keeps going on when he has so many enemies. So you're not going to stop people from hurting you. Jesus did, couldn't stop it. The apostles couldn't stop it. The most godly people in the Bible could not avoid. So don't sit here and think, well, I just don't want to be hurt. Just get ready for it. People are going to hurt you. People are going to disappoint you. But those hurts are not what do us in spiritually. It's how we respond to those events that have the spiritual implications. We can't afford to give in to the temptation to be bitter. How should we respond? Look in that same area, Ephesians chapter 4. Just drop down to the end of the chapter, nearly the end, verse 31. It says, let all... Does your Bible say all? If you have the right Bible, it does. Let all bitterness... All bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor, which is a word for just arguing and fighting and hurting, and evil speaking, let all of it be put away from you with all malice. Malice means you want to hurt another person, being malicious, malice. Let every bit of that go, all that bitterness, all that anger, all that evil speaking, verse 32, and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. And we talked last week about unforgiveness. But God's, how are you going to keep, how are you going to keep the devil from getting a place Put away all that anger, all that bitterness, all that evil speaking, and forgive everybody that's ever wronged you. That's good advice. It's not my advice. It's God's advice. It's good advice. So, back to the subject. How is it that we let the devil get an advantage over us? Number one, through unforgiveness. Number two, through holding grudges and bitterness and anger. I want to go to another place that I believe this is taught and. If you're there in Ephesians, go to the right to the book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. And I just want to read the last few verses, beginning in verse 24. The Bible says, And the servant of the Lord must not strive, now, this is what we sometimes call a pastoral epistle. 
uh, Paul is writing this epistle to Timothy, who was a pastor. Much of, the, much of Paul's writings in First and Second Timothy are like pastoral advice, pastoral counsel. So he says in verse 24, The servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach. Be gentle to all men, be capable of teaching, patient in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. So this is pastoral advice. Paul writing to Timothy, the servant of the Lord. He's a pastor. You're not to strive. You're to be gentle, apt to teach, patient in meekness. That's the absence of anger. Instructing those that oppose themselves. Teaching those that are in opposition. Teaching those that are resisting the truth. They're opposing the truth. Instructing those that oppose themselves. Notice this. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth the sentence continues and that they may recover themselves out of the there it is snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will so here's a group of people here's a category of people who are in a snare, a trap. Who, who set the snare? The devil set the snare. They're ensnared by the devil. Now what, is, what did they do? What did they do in their life? Do we know what they did? What did they do that caused themselves to be ensnared? And the answer is found in verse 25. They set themselves in opposition to the truth. They resisted the truth. They were in rebellion against the truth. Now, so here's the third one. You have unforgiveness, and then we have bitterness or anger, and then we have rebellion. Rebellion, direct disobedience to God, opens a person up to the snares of the devil according to the Bible. Direct disobedience. And by the way, direct disobedience is not all that uncommon. Right? I mean, if you or I, please stay with me tonight, if you or I know God wants us to do something and we refuse to do it, we're directly disobedient. If you say, well, I'm just not going to do that. And are there any negative effects for that? Is there any negative effects of a rebellion? We're going to see in more than one places, the Bible clearly teaches there are. And this, this, is, a, this is a case in point where disobedience caused people to be ensnared. And they wonder, why am I ensnared? Why, why does, the, the Bible says there they're taken captive. They're captives of war. Isn't that a sad place to be? Because of their disobedience. Let's get another example of this. And we'll come back to the New Testament in a moment. But let's go to the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel records in chapter 15 
one of the occasions, there was more than one, but one of the occasions where Saul was directly disobedient to God. We talked about Saul and how he was, how he was jealous of David and how he, the, an evil spirit from God came to trouble him. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, this has to do with Saul's direct... 1 Samuel chapter 15, did I say that? This, this has to do with Saul's direct disobedience to God when God said, we're going to destroy Amalek and I want you to kill everything, destroy everything, don't keep anything or anyone and uh, even kill the king, Agag. Kill the king, kill them all. And God had good reason for that. But Samuel just partially obeyed. And I'm not going to read the whole story because we have a lot of territory we're going to cover tonight. But just look with me if you would in verse um, 19. Uh, Samuel and the king, Saul, had been having this conversation. And Saul said, I obeyed the king. And David and Samuel said, well, then what meaneth the bleeding of the sheep? If the, I, hear, I hear these sheep in the background bleeding. Um, you mean to bleat for you a little bit? That's what they're doing. And um, Saul says, well, I did what I was supposed to do. And David and Samuel said, no, you didn't. And then Saul blames it on the people. Well, the people, it was those people, you know, they didn't want to do it. So look in verse 19, 1 Samuel 15 and verse 19. Wherefore then dost thou not obey the voice of the Lord? You didn't obey, but didst fly upon the spoil and didst evil in the sight of the Lord. And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. And of course he had not. And then he blames the people in verse 21. But the people took of the spoil. And now look in verse 22. And Samuel said to Saul, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? See, they said, We're going to keep all these nice we're going to keep the best of the livestock and we're going to sacrifice them to God. And Samuel said, God's not looking for sacrifices. He's looking for obedience. Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Still in verse 22. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion, this is what rebellion is like. Young person, are you looking in your Bible? This is what rebellion is like. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Now if any one of us thought that there was a person casting spells on people, um, pledging allegiance to Satan, we would be very troubled about that, wouldn't we? But when, young person, when you rebel, it's, in God's eyes, it's like being involved in witchcraft. Now, I wish you could see that. Because you, you know what witchcraft does? Witchcraft is not just dabbling in a false religion. Witchcraft is opening you up to the direct realm of Satan's influence in your life. To me, there's nothing attractive about people who are going to seances and, and all this kind of, and tarot cards and predicting the future. That's evil stuff. Would you agree with me? That's evil stuff. 
You say, I wouldn't want my child doing that. When in God's eyes, when you let your child directly disobey, it's the same as witchcraft. Is that that what we read in the Bible? That's serious stuff. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. None of us would think it's acceptable for a person to bow down before a statue, a wooden statue or a a god, a false god, and worship. None of us, idolatry. None of us would accept that. Well, when we are stubborn, it's the same thing as that. That's what the Bible says. Stubbornness is like idolatry. Verse 23, because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. We'll stop reading there, but the point is this. Rebellion is a serious offense. If we're going to try to keep from giving the devil a foothold, if we're going to try to keep from giving him an advantage, giving him place, then we have to understand that one of the things we have to make sure we're not doing is being directly disobedient. It gives a tactical advantage to the devil. Now I know some of you may not, you may think this is an exaggeration. But if a person sits in church and directly disobeys, time after time after time, not me, disobeys God, that person is setting them up, setting themselves up for a serious, serious fall. Disobedience is serious. You know, I'm thinking of when I mentioned when Achan, you know, when he took that accursed thing, he gave the enemy a decisive advantage in his life. You know where the safest place, the best place in the world to be? Right in the center of God's will. Obeying God completely, promptly, completely, fully, not partial disobedience or partial obedience, but complete obedience this is when a person hears the word of God and rejects it that's a serious thing I'm gonna go back to that passage in 2nd Timothy chapter 2 I hope you kept your place there because I want to answer the question quickly and that is what can a person do if they're ensnared you could be sitting right here tonight and you're ensnared have you ever heard people say oh I can quit whenever I want to and they just keep on doing it keep on doing it keep on doing it I can quit whenever I want to. You know why they don't quit? Even if they think they want, because they're ensnared. They're in bondage. They're in captivity. How can a person get out of that? How can they recover? When Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, he told them, notice what he says in verse 26, that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. If If a person's ensnared by some sin... They don't have to be permanently ensnared. How do they recover themselves? Look at the verse prior to that, verse 25. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. You know what? You know where deliverance comes from? It comes from repentance and acknowledging the truth. Sometimes people don't want to admit the truth. They won't say, when's the last time you heard a teenager say to you, a mom or dad, or I'll say, say to me as a pastor, I just need to tell you I've been rebellious. Now they've been rebellious. They've been disobedient. They've, they've been 
um, resisting authority. When's the last time you heard, had one walk up to you and say, Mom, I am so sorry. Dad, I am so sorry. <laughs> I've been rebellious. I just saw a parent say, I just had it happen to me. Isn't that refreshing? You know, you know why we don't do it? Because of pride. That's going to be the next one we get to. Because of pride. But I'm telling you, that's the only way you're going to get out of it. Is by humbling yourself and repenting and acknowledging the truth. So we've talked about three different things that give the devil a foothold. Unforgiveness, anger, holding grudges, and rebellion. Now you're in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Turn to the left to 1 Timothy and we're going to notice one more. Thank you so much for just staying attentive to this because I want to get through this. I mean, I have this tendency as a pastor just to keep digging down and dragging out and covering it and recovering it, but I, we, need to, we need to move on. 1 Timothy chapter 3, here's the good news is this doesn't apply to everybody here because this is, this is instruction regarding the qualifications of a pastor. It says in verse 1, this is a true saying, if a man desire the office of a bishop or a pastor, he needs to have his head examined. Not exactly what it says. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desires a good work. So he gives these, these various qualifications. He must be blameless, husband of one wife, etc. But look down, if you would, please, in verse 6. Not a novice. A novice is someone who's not mature. Lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Now that tells us something there again about a, an activity, an attitude that will give the devil a foothold. We've talked about bitterness. We've talked about those kinds of things, rebellion. But here's another one, and that is pride. Pride which often is the root of all other sins, pride can open the door for the enemy to get a foothold. Now this, is the, this has to do with the qualifications of a pastor, but the reality is any person become, can become prideful. And they don't have, not a certain age, not a certain occupation. Pastors, I think, have a particular susceptibility to that. It'd be easy for a person in a position of spiritual leadership or authority to, th that's why Paul said not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, to become prideful. And so that's why the warning is here to, the, to, to Timothy about the danger of pride. But pride can happen to anybody. You remember, you remember when Peter um, was warned by Jesus? When Jesus said, Satan hath desired, Satan hath desired that he might have you, that he might sift you like wheat. Remember that? Jesus said, uh, but I prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. Satan wants to, Satan wants to take you down. And what Peter say, thank you so much for the warning. I'm so grateful. Is that what he said? No, he basically said, not me. 
You're, you're thinking about somebody else. It never happened to me. You know what that's called? Tell me what that's called. Pride. And guess what happened to Peter? He denied the Lord three times. And then when he saw what he had done, he went out and wept bitterly. He didn't have to do that. He didn't have to fall. He didn't have to deny the Lord. He did not have to be disgraced by what he did. You know how, why he was? Because of his pride. He wouldn't, he wouldn't take God's warning seriously. You know what the Bible says? God resists the proud. If you have pride in your heart, if I have pride in my heart, God is actively opposing and resisting you. That's pretty serious, isn't it? But it also goes on to say, but God gives grace to the humble. And I wonder how many, let's be turning to 1 Chronicles chapter 21. This may be the last passage we'll look up tonight. Maybe. 1 Chronicles chapter 21. It may be that Satan is using pride to get so many people to forfeit their spiritual advantage. We've been given the advantage. That's why Paul said to the Corinthians, Neither, we're not to give any advantage to the devil. We're not ignorant of his devices. And, but honestly, we are ignorant of his devices sometimes. I'll tell you, if we knew how wicked pride is, if we really understood what it can do to destroy us, we would want to make every effort to keep, our, keep that pride in our own heart in check. I said, First Chronicles, did, did y'all get to First Chronicles 21? I'll be there in a minute. First Chronicles 21, verse 1. Now notice the language, very simple. 1 Chronicles 21, 1. And Satan stood up against Israel. Who did Satan stand up against? Israel. What did he do? He stood up against them. He's resisting God's people. By the way, he hadn't changed. He still resists God's people. And Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David to number Israel. How, did, how is Satan... Going to get Israel. He gets at Israel by provoking Israel's leader to number them. You know why? Because he's been told not to number them. Verse 2 says, And David, David said to Joab, his commander, the leader of the army, David said to Joab and to the rulers of the people, Go number Israel from Beersheba even to Dan. Beersheba is the southernmost part of Israel. Dan is the northernmost part of Israel. And David said to Joab, Go count and bring the number to me in verse 2 that I may know it. I want to know how many people we have. I want to know how many soldiers we have. And notice what Joab said in verse 3. Joab answered, the Lord make his people a hundred times so many more as they be. But my Lord the King, are they not all my Lord's servants? However many they are, they're all your servants. Why then doth my Lord require this thing? Look at this. 
Why will he, talking about David, be a cause of trespass to Israel? David was not supposed to count them. It was something God told him not to do. David said, I want to do it. You know why he wanted to do it? Because of his pride. And Joab, who was not a man known for spiritual sensitivity, he warned David, please don't do this. But David pushed forward. David, a man after God's own heart. David pushed forward in his pride. It's an interesting thing when you think about how Satan wanted to destroy Israel, but he's going to use David's pride to get it done. You know, sometimes the devil will use a person to really attack someone else in their orbit, someone else that they have influence in. And I believe it was David's pride that gave Satan this advantage. It's a sad thing, isn't it? Look, look in verse 7, it says, And God was displeased with this thing, therefore he smote Israel. And there's a lot to this story that we're going to just pass over. But look down in verse 14, it says, So the Lord sent pestilence upon Israel, and there fell of Israel 70, 70,000 men. How'd you like to have that on your, on your, um, list of things that you're responsible for? Seventy thousand men died. Why? Because of David's pride that went unchecked. You say. A dad could say, a mom could say, well, I, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have my way. Bless God, I'm in charge here. I'm going to tell you something. Sometimes the devil will use someone else, appeal to their pride, because he's really not even after them. He's after others in their orbit of influence. That's exactly what we find here in this text. I tell you, we all have a battle with our pride. All of us. And Satan can use desires that seem so natural. I mean, David was a king. David was a military man. He wanted to know how many people he had, how many warriors he had. I don't think David was aware that there was a force at work an unseen enemy that was going to use his pride to hurt Israel. And sure enough, 70,000 people lost their lives. May I suggest to you tonight, if Satan could use David, he could use any of us. How can we recover ourselves from these strongholds, these Attacks of the enemy, especially when pride has been a factor. Look in this passage in 1 Chronicles chapter 21. And just notice a couple of verses. Look in verse 8. David said unto God, I've sinned greatly because I've done this thing. But now I beseech thee, do away 
the iniquity of thy servant, for I've done very foolishly. He's, when he saw it, he became so repentant about it. And then if you look further down in the passage, in verse 17, and David said unto God, it's not, Is it not I that commanded the people to be numbered? Even I it is that have sinned and done evil indeed. But as for these sheep, what have they done? It's a, you know, there's something that's more painful than seeing the hurt that our pride and rebellion has done to us. And that's seeing the hurt that our pride and rebellion has done to others. Look in verse 17. Let thine hand, I pray thee, O Lord my God, be on me and on my father's house, but not on thy people, that they should be plagued. What is it that can break this advantage the devil has? Very simply, it's humility. It's repentance. Humble ourselves. James tells us this. Peter tells us this. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. We're to humble ourselves. So as we think about the devil, we acknowledge the fact that we have an advantage over him, according to the Bible. But he wants to get the advantage over us. And I've said it many times. You've heard it. Maybe you've said it. He never comes up with this big sign saying, my name is the devil, better known as Smutty Face. And I'm here to destroy your life. I just want to give you the heads up. He doesn't do that. He's more subtle than all the beasts of the field. He's subtle. You know what he gets us to do? He, he gets us to hold bitterness against people. He gets us to be prideful. He tempts us to disobey, to be rebellious. He tempts us to be unforgiving. And you know, all the while we're doing that, we don't realize it. While we're walking around with these attitude problems, we walk around, we don't realize that we're giving place to the devil. Our victory is not in us. Our victory is in Christ. It's not in our self-will. It's not in our determination. It's not in the flesh. It's not about how much we know or how hard we work. Jesus, John said this in one of his epistles, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And you know what? We can have victory through him. You know, I'm, I'm no match for the devil, and nor are you. But we don't want to become casualties of war. We're in a war. We're in a war, a spiritual war. We have an enemy. But greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. We must maintain this advantage we have by walking in the spirit and not in the flesh. By living obediently. You say, well, preacher, nobody's perfect. We're all going to sin. But when we sin, we need to immediately confess that sin and ask for God's forgiveness and get his cleansing and move on. The devil wants to set up strongholds in our life. Every spiritual advantage we have is diminished by our sin, by our disobedience and rebellion. Quit submitting to temptation and submit to God and resist the devil. The Bible says he'll flee. 
So we can give the devil an advantage. We can surrender the advantage. But advantage lost can be regained. Aren't you glad about that? Through humility, trusting God, repenting of our sin, crucifying the flesh and the lust thereof. I just, I so uh, hate to see God's people defeated, losing their families, losing their advantage, not, not, not serving the Lord, not having the joy of the Lord. It doesn't have to be that way. God gives us the victory. Tonight, I just want to say the wisest thing we can do, not just tonight, but in our life, is to recognize the danger of things like this in our life. That's not a complete list, but it's a partial, a good partial list, a good place to start. Bitterness has to go. Unforgiveness has to go. Anger has to go. Rebellion has to go. We're not going to disobey God. We may not know how we're going to do it. We may not even in our flesh want to do it. But we know that the best path is the path of obedience. Amen? Tonight will be a good night. To say, I want to, I want to make this the life that I want to live. Not just momentary, the life that I want to live. I'll tell you, I don't think it's complicated I think it's simple, but I think it's, it's difficult because the flesh just wants to hold on to control. I challenge you tonight. You, I, I wouldn't surprise me if there are not people here tonight, and there's some area of your life that this applies tonight. Maybe some area of bitterness or resentment towards someone and something they've done. Maybe... Pride, maybe being willfully disobedient to something. You know what? You can walk out the door the same way you came in and still have that rebellion, but I'm just telling you, all you're doing is just opening yourself up to the devil. And you're no match for the devil. Amen? Let's bow our heads together for prayer.